If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 626. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Go to brianmcclanahan.com. Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Also, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Send me those show requests. Do all you can to expand the audience of The Brian McClanahan Show. I appreciate your input. And let's get started with the topic. So we've got a piece by Paul Gottfried uh, that I, I find uh, very good. It's actually at American Greatness, which is interesting. You know, American Greatness is an interesting website in this. Uh, it is a Straussian website. There is no question about it. And they put up some really awful stuff. But they also publish Paul Gottfried on a, on a fairly regular basis. And I think that's interesting. You know, the, the Straussians, people like Michael Anton, and I've, I've heard people have, have written me and said, you know, he behind the scenes, he said some things that are pretty non-Straussian. Of course, he and I had a very public dispute over uh, the 1619 Project and the 1776 Commission Report. But... Um, the issue I have with, with the Straussians is that they really don't see that their advocacy of Abraham Lincoln and the proposition nation is going to undermine their entire position. They just can't get it. And that is the primary issue I have with them. Now, the fact that American Greatness will publish decent pieces, I think, is something to be admired. I mean, there's very few places you can do this online anymore. You know, you have... Chronicles Magazine, the American conservative, publishes good stuff uh, here and there. But there's very few mainstream websites that do this. And so to publish Paul Gottfried is, I think, in some ways heroic because, you know, Gottfried wouldn't be published on many other uh, mainstream conservative websites. He just wouldn't. I mean, look, uh, National Review, which he attacks here, would not. And so this is interesting. The Straussians don't want to be called neoconservatives, even though they're and certainly in line with them on so many, the proposition nation is a big deal, right? I mean, you, you cannot separate these two things. So they're not in line with the neoconservatives on foreign policy, at least at this point, though it hasn't always been that way. And we know the Straussians were responsible for essentially the paleo-neocon split back in the early 80s. I mean, the, uh, the Straussians were definitely involved with that. So... Um, it's interesting how, and now, of course, as Anton will point out, Jaffa actually defended Mel Bradford, uh, though the uh, those that had already, you know, splintered off uh, were were certainly behind getting Bradford removed from his appointment, or at least potential appointment, his nomination uh, for the National Endowment for the Arts. So, I mean, this is um, this is important that we, this split is here now. This is what Anton's question to me was. He said, well, why are we still fighting this out? I mean, we've got a common enemy, the left, and we need to focus on them and not worry about this stuff. But principles matter. And where you go with conservatism matters. And where you go ideologically matters. 
Um, how you view the American founding matters because if you view it as a leftist, guess who's going to win that argument? I mean, it, it's simple as that. So I want to, but that said, so I'm, I'm giving American greatness its due respect here for publishing this piece. And uh, Paul sent this around uh, to some to some friends of his, and and I received it before, um, right after it was published. But he, uh, the title of the piece is Kevin Williamson: A National Review Gag on Green, and this is about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, uh, last week, I said some things about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert that people didn't like, and because I was critical of Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, my problem with both of these women is the same problem I have with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And the problem I have with that, it's not necessarily them. It's the reaction to them on the right. We can rightfully make fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is as stupid as you can get. Uh, the woman is, is brain dead. And of course, make, the fact that she's a leftist makes it even worse. So making fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is something that is good sport. Right? People often make fun of her because she is not very bright. But at the same time, they'll defend Marjorie Taylor Greene and Loam Boebert, who are both not very bright. In fact, you know, I've said if you know, having a, a debate between Boebert and Cortez or uh, Greene and Cortez would be one of the most hysterical things to ever watch because it would be just gaff after gaff after gaff. Now, I will say both Boebert and Green mean well, right? I mean, look, you can't deny that both of these women mean well. They're tenacious. They, as, as, as Gottfried points out, they're tenacious. They go after the left, and they do it without any fear of reprisal. You have to admire that in them. Uh, but, I mean, here we are in America. We've gone from, <laughs> from people like uh, you know, Richard Russell in Georgia to Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. We've gone from you know great statesmen to this. We have gotten to the point that the founding generation worried about. We've gotten to the point with John C. Calhoun, uh, which, by the way, I'm going to mention this. I've got another class coming out in May at McClanahan Academy on John C. Calhoun. It will be out. I'm going to go through his uh, most important public documents, including his disquisition on government. And we're going to we're going to really get into those things. And if you read that book, and I, and I do it in that class, and we go through it line by line, if you read that book, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Lauren Boebert are exactly what he's talking about there. We're in the situation Calhoun predicted in 1850. You have two factions scrambling for the levers of power, and we have not elevated the best members of society to Congress. We've ele ele elevated the worst. We've elevated, elevated demagogues. This is what we've got. And so even though, you know, Boebert and Green say the right things, and I think, you know, for both, uh, if, you're a, if you're a conservative, their heart's in the right place. And you can say this with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. If you're a progressive, her heart's in the right place. They're just all brain dead. You can see the lack of education in each one of these women. I mean, it's, it's evident. Uh, and so we shouldn't give them a pass for being a bunch of dunderheads. Uh, you should not, we should expect more out of the people that are in elected offices. You want people that are not just tenacious, but also smart. And you've had that throughout American history. That's my issue with, with these women. It's not that they don't go out and fight for their constituents and do these things. That's fine. You have to admire them for that. 
But where are we as a society when these are the these are the people that are held up as the symbol of you know uh, great American conservatism? It's awful. We need better people in office, better people uh, you know behind the scenes doing things, and you just can't seem to produce them. And the left is in the same situation. Their their leaders are a bunch of morons too. So we've got a whole Congress of morons. So we're basically talking about which moron is worse than your, is my moron worse than your moron? And this is what we have in America. It's awful. We have a bunch of stupid people running things. And, and, I, and look, Gottfried points that out here. So he's saying, and he said this, I brought this up to him. And he said, well, look, you know, if we've got, we've got, we don't have much of a choice. We got, we got just, you know, not very, um, we've got, uh, you know, situation where we have, uh, people that aren't very bright on both sides. So what are you going to do, right? I, I mean, I can get that. I can understand that. But it's it's certainly frustrating. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this piece because I found it interesting. It's not just a a, a, an, a some a piece praising Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's also an attack on National Review, which is always good. Gottfried says in an invective that easily could have appeared at Salon or Huffington Post, National Review's wannabe voice of conscience, Kevin Williamson, refers to the Republican Party as the yellowest most timorous, most gutless, grasping, worthless, indefensible, chicken sh political organ the world has ever seen. It seems, however, that Williamson is condemning the Republicans for something they got right. They refused to expel from their ranks U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia's 14th District, someone whom Williamson describes tort uh, court as gas a ghastly cretion and self-serving, a self-serving malicious dunce. Now, she's not very smart. She's not a Cretan. I wouldn't say that. Um, and he's not happy about the fact because he believes that Green is an insurrectionist, which I have said, of course, last week, that she's not an insurrectionist. And I think Gottfried makes a very good case for that in this particular piece as well. So we'll, we'll do that too. Williamson laces into Green for morally violating the 14th Amendment by being engaged in an insurrection or rebellion on January 6th. He believes this to be the case, even if Green's guilt will be hard to prove legally. Although there are good grounds for treating January 6th as an insurrection under law, he insists, apparently Joe Biden's Justice Department does not see things that way because Joe Biden's Justice Department knows they can't win the case. I made this point last week. And of course, there were some uh, dopes who were not happy about me saying that. But this is true, right? Joe Biden's Justice Department could not prove it in court. They would lose. And the Democrats know this, which is why... They haven't booted Marjorie Taylor Greene out of Congress. They know they can't, they can't prove she's an insurrectionist. This would be political backlash of the highest order. This is why they won't do it. They know it. So what they're going to do, which is what Kevin Williamson is buying into, he's bought the lie. Just spray it out there, and people will, oh yeah, insurrection, insurrection. And then they'll run with it because they're a bunch of idiots. right? This is exactly what Kevin Williamson is doing. Green, a shabby grifter, expressed sympathy for the imprisoned rioters and stands with those zealots who don't believe that Joe Biden really won the 2020 presidential election. If Biden's attorney general decided to prosecute some of the more influential election skeptics as complicit in insurrection, other opportunities would avail themselves for dealing with treasonous Americans. Merrick Garland could investigate troublemakers in the media, e.g. Tucker Carlson, Miranda Devine, Julie Kelly, filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza, and American greatness contributors who share Green's skepticism about the 2020 election. Why let any of these insurrectionary skeptics off the hook? And I mean, he's right about this, right? Where do you stop with this? If you say that you, know, you question the 2020 election, 
Okay, well, does that make you an insurrectionist? We know the Democrats question elections all the time. So what's the deal here, right? So, But of course, the response is, well, it's the fact that there was a violent riot at the Capitol. So uh, um, um, Gottfried gets into that a little bit later. So I'll, I'll leave that till we get there. Williamson has been a persistent never-Trumper. And it's, so it's no surprise that he should continue his vendetta against those who supported his bet noir. Since the much-noted illegal entry into the Senate building on January 6th is not being elevated as what it supposedly was, namely a full-blown insurrection, the case for disqualifying Green's candidacy recently heard by U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg, the even more radical sister of Nita Totenberg of NPR fame, has no firm legal basis. In this suit, Green is accused of engaging in insurrection by rhetorically challenging the desired election re- or declared election results. Williamson must reject that charge since the Biden administration has sadly not declared the events of January 6th to be a rebellion against our lawfully elected government. Because of the pussyfooting Garland, a coward who is not up to his job, Williamson must turn to the people of Georgia's 14th district to vote their congresswoman out of office. Both patriotism and self-respect require them to make that decision. So this is Williamson. He's saying this, right? He's saying, hey, Williamson uh, was doing the right thing, but the Biden administration is not because they can't, well, look, they can't prove anything. And Williamson laments that they haven't called this a full-blown insurrection because it wasn't. You can say that people broke the law. There's no question about that. You go into the U.S. Congress and you steal stuff and vandalize things, break windows. Well, that's breaking the law. And all those people that did that should be prosecuted. It's, it's not something that we should tolerate at any place. But the left is certainly willing to tolerate it when it suits their agenda and go after those who don't. And this is where uh, Gottfried gives National Review hell over this. And I love it. He says, I wonder, yes, I'm being facetious, if Williamson would treat the late summer of love in 2020 as an armed insurrection. Cities were then pillaged, policemen and shopkeepers of all hues assaulted and killed, and government buildings vandalized and burned. This is correct. I mean, right, look what happened in, in Washington State. You had a federal courthouse there, nightly assaulted. Uh, did you, I mean, where is the outrage over an insurrection there? It's go, they're going after a courthouse, right? That's a, that is a sacred place of justice, and yet they're trying to attack it on a nightly basis, not just one time. Every single night they went after it. Every single night. So where is the outrage? Now, of course, the lefties will say, well, people were arrested. We'll show the FBI evidence. People were, well, people were, but do you see the media talking about this as much? Do you see, uh, do you see any, I mean, we've had lefty congressmen say this is okay. Are those people being prosecuted as insurrectionists? Are they being tried, are we trying to deny them their seat in Congress because they're insurrectionists? Of course not, because there's no evidence of that. Meanwhile, Democratic leaders like Kamala Harris and Representative Maxine Waters stoked the fires by publicly defending the rioters. Not wishing to be left behind, Joe Biden's staff ran to bail out and prison vandals, while all Democratic hopefuls deplored the white racism and police violence that allegedly led to these incidents. Incidents. Mostly peaceful but fiery protests. Would Williamson rage against the black congressional firebrands such as Waters, Cory Bush, or Sheila Jackson Lee, all of whom have said far more provocative things than Green has said and did so amid escalating racial tensions? If Green's questioning of the 2020 race and her sympathy for those imprisoned indefinitely for the January 6th break-in were insurrectionary, how should we process Bush's entirely unproved allegation that white supremacists shot at her during the Ferguson, Missouri disturbances in 2014? 
as inciting racial riots or making up lies about Trump's Russia collusion as wicked as what Green did? If not, why not? Right? I mean, so if these things aren't, you have to explain this stuff. Is that insurrectionary? Right? So this lie about Trump-Russia collusion, right? I mean, that's important. That's, that can be insurrectionary. They're trying to actually over... Look, you have to say this now. The fact that the Democrats pushed for four years on a lie, the Trump collusion, Russia collusion, and the things that they did when he was in office was a soft coup. It was. The, uh, the object was to take out Trump. They wanted him gone. That's a soft coup. That's a soft insurrection. Essentially what they were doing. Now they're trying to do it by the book. right? They're going to go this. They're going to impeach. They're going to do these things. But this essentially was a soft coup the entire time based on a lie based on a campaign dossier that was paid for by Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, wh- look, who should really be prosecuted for these things? Marjorie Taylor Greene or the Democrats? Allow me to answer my own question. Williamson would like to be seen as a no-holds-barred journalist, but tries very hard not to step on too many leftist toes. For example, he produced a famous broadside against white victimization in which he avoided mentioning non-white welfare recipients among those whom he considered a social burden, Williamson also has no trouble decrying Trump supporters as insurrectionists, but avoids pinning that label on leftist congressmen. For me, Williamson's tear uh, against Green was truly over the, terror against Green was truly over the top. He is unfairly slamming a gutsy congresswoman who was deserted by members of her own party when the Democrats stripped her of committee assignments in 2021. This is the same Congress that allows such morally compromised Democrats as Eric Swalwell and Waters to sit on powerful committees undisturbed. This is true. I mean, there's a double standard here without question. There's no accountability. That's the issue. The Democrats are never held accountable. So one thing you can say about Green and Boebert is at least they're trying to hold the Democrats accountable. This is laudatory. This is, this is something we should be thinking that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Despite her isolation, Green keeps coming after the fake media and her hypocritical colleagues with admirable thumos. She behaves like a Democrat in the relentless way she fights. People like Waters... Uh, Ayanna Presley, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Senator Elizabeth Warren have met their match in this embattled Georgia lady. Next to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senator Mitt Romney, and Kevin Williamson, she is a model of courage to whom I would gladly give my vote in Georgia's 14th district or anywhere else. Fortunately, Green won't need my vote because her electorate appreciates her feistiness. The appeasers at National Review admit that with deep regret. So this is a good piece um, look, anytime Gottfried goes on the offensive against the neocons, against the National Review people, it's always fun because these people really are a problem. And uh, look, Green, as I said, you have to admire, I, I agree with, with Gottfried here, you have to admire Boebert and Green and others who actually will fight. That's a good thing. Uh, my, my commentary at the beginning of this piece holds, I mean, I, I still stand by it though. We need to elevate the people in Congress. And if, we're, if everyone's in the gutter, I mean, we're, we're lost. We're already doomed. And I think that's the issue I'm, I'm confronted with. This is why national politics really don't matter anymore. I'm going to conclude with this. This is why we need to be looking at local federalism, the local to solve these things, because, look, US, the U.S. government, Washington, D.C., is lost. It's gone. It's exactly what Calhoun predicted in 1850. It's why we should be looking for local solutions. It's why we should be looking for something like a concurrent majority, some type of check on federal power. We're never going to win, 
by simply thinking we're going to reform the swamp and just get owning the libs, which is essentially what Green and Boebert and even Trump, this is what they want to do. They want to own the libs. That is uh, not going to do anything but advance the Republican Party, which really does nothing in Washington, D.C. So why do we even care? We need to be thinking about real-world solutions, real practical solutions to these problems at the state and local level. And this is why I admire you know, Ron DeSantis. I talked about this yesterday for actually going out and doing some of these things. Even if I don't agree with everything Ron DeSantis believes or what he says, he's a Hamiltonian to the core. I still think uh, that uh, these state actions and things like that, that's what, that's what we need to be doing, thinking locally and acting locally. It's the theme of this program. And green is a symptom of the disease of nationalism. So is Cortez, so is Boebert, so is Trump. I mean, all these things are. And we need to be thinking about different solutions to some of these problems. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.